is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, June 19th, 2023. This is Juneteenth. Taylor Swink is producing back in Bristol today. I'm Buster Olney in Montana after our Sunday night game at Fenway Park. A big weekend series for the Red Sox. Big concerns for the Yankees emerging. And by the way, we had that game at Fenway last night, uh, and I bumped into Carl Ravage and Eduardo Perez at Boston's Logan Airport this morning. Taylor, you know, they flew in from Omaha on late Saturday. They got in at like 2 o'clock in the morning. Then they went and did the Sunday night game, and then they're up at uh, last night, and then they're up at, you know, 3 o'clock going out to Logan because they're going back to the College World Series to call another game tonight. And you know that Ravi is going to hop in the hotel gym when he gets to Omaha. You know, he's going to get his pump yeah. in. He's going to pound it on the treadmill. Whew, I can't. That's I'm too soft for that lifestyle. Uh, Ravi's energy never dissipates. And Eduardo, <laughs> you know, mostly for the same same. Uh, I think I'd say the same thing about him. But Ravi just I mean, he is on point. It's like there's a green light on, on he's on camera at all 24 hours a day. I don't know how he does it. I would love a reality show uh, of Ravi's life, just following him around, hanging out in Connecticut, you know, on the shore, and then bouncing around from game to game. No, I I, I hear you, but if you're going to do a reality show of anyone, it would be Eduardo. Oh, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. Because Eduardo is insane. Like, we <laughs> talked last week how he went, like, you know, uh, from uh, he did the Sunday night game in New York and then he went to Miami and then he went to London and then he's back to New York and then Omaha. Yeah, he he's he's crazy. I think Eduardo <laughs> is just crazy. By the way, did you see last night is dad Tony all into Sunday night baseball, you know, on Father's Day. That was really fun. So sweet. I love when you guys do that on on the broadcast there. Did something similar. Who, who was that for for Mother's Day? Was that Lars Newbar? Um, yeah, and yeah. we did it before the game. I don't know if you saw this yesterday, but Alex Verdugo's dad, Joseph, called called in, mm-hmm. and the same thing was the same sort of setup. And Verdugo was surprised, and his dad uh, thanked him for the edibles <laughs> on on camera. And then he and then he cut in and he goes, "Fruit edibles." It was the fruit edibles. <laughs> and then a little while later. Uh, Alex Verdugo's brother sent out a picture of a fruit basket. Said, "Here are the edibles." <laughs> That's great. Oh, got to yeah. keep it uh, family friendly on, on the Sunday night baseball broadcast. No doubt about it. All right, Red Sox Yankees. Red Sox won Game One after they had won uh, the first game of this series on Friday, and then in Game Two, Anthony Rizzo has been struggling so badly. Absolutely clubbed the ball to straightaway center field, and here's what happened. Swings here and hammers one. Out to center. Going back to Rand near the wall, and he makes the catch. Oh, boy. Up against the triangle of the Red Sox bullpen near the 420 marker, and he was able to haul it in. I don't know how he did it. No, it was a beautiful catch because he had to basically – uh, make the, the catch right in the triangle and slam against the wall after making the catch. And Anthony, the look on Rizzo's face after that was like, oh, boy. That, of course, was the voice of Boog Shambi on ESPN Radio, the legend. He's going to be joining us in a few minutes coming up. We're going to talk a lot about the Cincinnati Reds, about the National League Central, about the San Francisco Giants who have been surging of late, as well as the slumping Yankees. Tristan Cassis added to the Red Sox lead in the bottom of the fifth. Swing and a line drive, curling down the right field line, and that one will touch down and then hop over the wall as a fan touched it. It'll be an automatic double, and two will come in to score as Casas laces one into the corner, and the Red Sox extend their lead. It's now 4-1 Boston. And the Yankees' offense continue to limp along into the ninth inning. The 1-2. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. Ball game. Red Sox win it. They sweep the double dip and sweep the series from the Yankees. And over the last two weekends, the Red Sox have taken five out of six from the Yankees. That was the Red Sox. Red Sox's first doubleheader sweep in Fenway Park of the Yankees since 1976. And that's why Jaron Duran, Red Sox outfielder who made that great catch, was on Sports Center with Michael Eaves. Jaron, first of all, I want, to, I want to get to your catch in a moment, but let's talk about what I just said. You sweep the series. You sweep uh, the doubleheader as well. I mean, that's a very tight and competitive AL East division. Tell me the value of doing that as opposed to just getting the wins. 
Yeah, I mean, that's huge. I mean, it's it's always good to beat a team in your in your division, and especially a good team like the Yankees. Like, they've been rolling, and we've been hitting our bumps in the road, but, you know, we were able to come out strong and, and put it to them, and it's always a good thing to beat them. So, again, the, the count was 4-1 to one with the final score, but I'm not sure that would have been the case if not for your play in center field. Uh, take us through what you saw as soon as that ball left the bat. I mean, I knew he got it good. It sounded good off the bat. And me and Huddy had been working on taking my head off the ball, so that was one of the first times I was able to actually take my head off the ball and take a couple steps, which helped me cover some ground and catch that ball. And as soon as I get, got in, I ran into Huddy. I was like, hey, did you see me take my head off the ball? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's good coaching right there. I thought one of the more impressive aspects, Jared, was your, your ability to pull your hands back right before you hit the wall. Like, not only you made the catch, you didn't hurt yourself either. Yeah, I mean, I would have I would have gone into the wall if I had to to hurt myself to make that play. So it was, it was for Bayo, and I was going to do anything to catch that ball for him. We got word on Sunday that the Pittsburgh Pirates are calling up number one overall pick from 2021, Henry Davis, to the big leagues. It's a catcher who's hitting 284 with 11 homers and 30 RBI and 51 games in the minors this season. We're going to be talking about him with Kyler McDaniel coming up. Let's see what kind of impact he's going to have on Pittsburgh as they try to win the National League Central. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Get great deals on the hottest tickets. Experience it live. You know the team you want to see live of late? The San Francisco Giants, who absolutely took it to the Dodgers over the weekend, adding on to their lead in the top of the sixth. 2-2. Wade pulls one off the end of the mid of Freeman into right field. That's a base hit for Lamont. Coming around third, Sable Hill score over to third. Crawford, Wade beats the lefty. It's 7-2 to Giants. That was Dave Fleming on CanBR. That is seven straight wins after the 7-3 win on Sunday. Seven straight wins for the Giants. They swept L.A., and they moved past the Dodgers into second place in the National League West. Of course, the Diamondbacks are the leaders in the West of the, at the moment. The Giants place pitcher Alex Cobb on the injured list with an oblique strain. This happened on Sunday this year, 5-2 and two with a 3.09 ERA. You know who else is surging? The Guardians, they, as we uh, talked about with Terry Francona a few weeks ago on the podcast, they just consistently get better during the course of a season. Andre Jimenez got a hit in the top of the fourth inning. Here comes the 1-2. Swung on, and there's a high fly ball to right, deep, headed to the corner, way back there, and that ball is off the wall. Extra bases for Jimenez. One run is in, that's Rosario. Naylor's right behind him. Jimenez thought about coming all the way around, but Mike Sarbaugh holds him up at third base with a triple. Yeah, from WTAM 1100, those unhappy fans you heard in the background, those of the Diamondbacks who watched their team lose 12-3 on Sunday. The ones who get it done is brought to you by Granger. With supplies and solutions for every industry, Granger has the right product for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. You know who's been getting it done? Bottom of the Texas lineup. They face the Blue Jays on Sunday. And one of the guys who's been anchored in those bottom four spots for Texas had a big day on Sunday. The 3-1. That ball is hit sharply up the middle. Diving Merrifield, he can't get it. It's by him and in the center. Garver comes in to score. Duran makes it to third. Leone Tavares with the RBI single to give the Rangers their first lead of the day at 7-6. Tavares swings, and that one is driven to right center. Springer back. Bullpen shot out of here. Two-run home run for Leone Tavares. And the Rangers lead 10-7. Yeah, from 105.3, the fan, the final score there was 11-7. to The Cardinals and the Mets, a series between two struggling teams. Paul Goldschmidt tacked on to the Cardinals' lead in the top of the second. The pitch by Carrasco, a swing and a line drive left center. That ball gets down in the gap and it goes to the wall. It scores Tommy Edmond. Here comes Donovan around third. He's going to score on a double by Paul Goldschmidt. John Rooney on the Cardinals radio network. The Cardinals go on to win 8-7. to seven. The Reds, the Astros. The Astros have been slumping without Jordan Alvarez. He, of course, is on the injured list with that oblique uh, strain that he suffered. The Reds are going off. Spencer Street got a big hit in the top of the six. 
And now Spencer Steer drives one deep left field, hit a ton, and gone! Spencer Steer has tied this game with a two-run home run out of here to left center field. That from 700 WLW, Ellie Daly. Cruz got some stuff done in this game. They are a fascinating team. I think there's a clear favorite to win the National League Central at this point, and we'll be talking about that coming up. Angels, Royals. The Angels suffered a brutal loss on Sunday. They were ahead 8-2. to two. They blew that lead. The Royals won that, uh, that game on Saturday. The Angels bounce back on Sunday with help from their two superstars. Shohei swings at this one, blasts the ball deep out into right center field. It is out of here. Otani connects a two-run homer right there. And the Angels have the lead. It's 3-2. to two. And on this Father's Day, it is showtime. And here's Trout swinging and hitting a ball high and deep out into left center. And it's Trout here. Back-to-back homers on back-to-back pitches. And the Angels have a 4-2 lead. That was from Angels Radio 830. A.M. Phillies, A's, Kyle Schwarber hit a home run. We know he did because it's June. Two one pitch on the way. Swing and a fly ball hit deep. Left center field up the alley. And looking at it is Rooker. And it is gone. And Kyle Schwarber with an opposite field bomb. That is his 20th home run of the season. And another leadoff shot, his third of the road trip. And the Phillies take the 1-0 lead. From 94 WIP, the Phillies going to win that game 3-2. That's six straight wins for the Phillies, but the Braves have also won six straight. And the Marlins have four straight wins. The Phillies are 38-34, and 34, eight games out of first place in the National League East. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, the NBA Finals have wrapped up, but it is already peak silly season in the NBA as Bradley Beal on the move to the Phoenix Suns. And here at ESPN Podcast, we're breaking it down from all angles. You've got the Hoop Collective, the Right Time, and the Low Post all talking Bradley Beal to the Phoenix Suns, joining up with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. You can find all of those shows wherever you're listening to this podcast right now, and they are also all on YouTube. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1 800 Direct TV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you gotta check out NextGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. The Man. Swing and a high fly ball out towards left field. The Voice. That one well struck. The Legend. On its way. Chiambi on baseball tonight. And this place is going bananas. Luke Chiambi, the legend, play-by-play man on ESPN Radio. He also does Cubs games on Marquee Television. And, and Book, your open is still the best open. I'm sorry, <laughs> how did that happen that you got the best open? Oh, no. I just randomly appear, and here I am with the uh, the amazing open. I know. Yeah. Well, it's it's well earned for sure. 
and, and you know, we know this because I'm going to throw a thousand topics at you today and you're going to absolutely nail all of them. Let's start with the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, you know, we I got a call to do be on a show later this week in which we're uh, basically supposed to give our division favorites from this point forward. And, and Boog, I got to say, like, I found the National League Central to be one of the easier divisions. Because yeah. I think the Cincinnati Reds right now, I, I, I mean, I don't think their trajectory is changing. What about you? I, I mean, I think they're going to be right in it. I don't, I mean, I just don't think there's anybody in the division that's capable of, you know, stepping on the gas and going past everyone. So I think they'll be in it. I don't, I don't, I probably don't agree that there's an obvious choice in the division. Really? Yeah. No, just because I think that, again, you know, when you look at, uh, I mean, we, I've, you know, we've seen all of these teams up close and they have stretches where they're up and stretches where they're down. Um, I think Cincinnati is super athletic, really entertaining um, and very talented. Um, but I don't I like honestly, I would say at this point, I think that um, I almost would go as far as to say I think four teams. Uh, could win the division. Okay, run through them for me and tell me I mean, why I, you think they could. I, I, again, I like you know for for Milwaukee, it would take it. It, it is health pitching is peak. You know the other thing is that one of the things that's sort of sneaky with the Brewers, like Christian Yelts having a good year, like not what he had, but like having a good year. They got to figure out a way to score. Will they do something? But I mean, they played it at, at a good enough rate the whole year. Um, obviously, you know, seeing what Woodruff could add, we'll see. Um, but I still would say that we've seen Burns and Peralta be brilliant, uh, you know, many times. As far as the Reds, look, I was high on them. You know, at the beginning, just because I like the young pitching, like I didn't see it position player wise. And now, um, I, yeah, there's just there's a ton of talent and you can't take your eyes off De La Cruz. Right. I mean, you just it's um, and I think that there's, you know, they're they're a pain. They don't catch it real well. That's a that's a negative for them. You know, look, as far as the Cardinals, I would still say there's a ton of talent there. I just I don't know that they have enough pitching. I didn't expect it to be. I, mean, I didn't think they had a ton of pitching last year. But I, I so I, I do think that there is going to be some regression with the Cardinals. And to that end, I mean that they'll start playing better. Um, and then for the Cubs, I think that they're good enough to stick around. You know, their starting pitching is very good. Stroman's been really good. Smiley's been really good. Steel is a unicorn. Um, they will catch it. I don't know what the high end of the offense necessarily is. So, and again, I, I you know, I, I'm not putting all of their chances at equal, but I, I do think that it's just not division is just not that good. So I think that everybody could sit there and be like, yeah, we get a shot. So to follow up on some of those, first off, you didn't mention the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I'm curious about that and what your thought is there. I mean, it's funny because I was like going through the Pirates and the Cubs when they played one another at home. And uh, as I started to look, I was I, I was attacking it from the standpoint of like, where have the Pirates gotten lucky? And they haven't really gotten lucky. They're just kind of a middle of the pack offensive team, a middle of the pack pitching run prevention team. And then looking at them compared to the Cubs, like I don't think they're better than the Cubs. Yeah. Um and then you start to say, well, maybe I'm looking at this wrong. Maybe it's why are the Cubs underperforming? And then the Cubs proceed to win five in a row. Um, I, I just I, I think that the Pittsburgh's fine. And like, I guess in the end, you could throw them in there as well. I just they don't have uh, Keller's performance, notwithstanding. I don't think that they have a, a dude up front. Um, and I, I think that that that's going to be you know one of the issues for them yeah and we're going to be talking uh with Kyler McDaniel coming up about Henry Davis it'll be interesting to see what he adds to their roster as they move forward 
Uh, I'm curious about what jumps that you you talked about the Reds athleticism and the prospect position guys. But watching them in person, what's it like to see the group that they have? What who stands out to you? Right. So like so I haven't seen I haven't seen uh, De La Cruz in person yet. Um, okay. I've only I've only gotten a chance to see him on TV, and in fact, I haven't seen you know this new iteration of the reds in person so it's all it's the same as you in terms of like watching on tv um and and even at the beginning of the year seeing just some of the little you know pieces that they that they have i mean yeah spencer steer is a good hitter you know like stuff like that to to, to sit there and, and be like okay so mclean india like there's some good players there and they don't have enough spaces for them those are good problems to have yeah, I can't wait to see them in person. You know, and this is from afar. You know, I have not uh, talked to to McLean, but he looks like he's coming for your lunch money when yeah. I see him play, doesn't it? It feels like this guy's coming after you. You know, yeah, he actually reminds me of Jonathan India in his rookie year when you felt like this guy's coming after you. And Ellie De La Cruz, it's just—it's funny. You say, "Well, you haven't seen him in person." It doesn't matter. We've seen eighteen thousand highlights, right? You know, and everything he does is at the top of the Statcast board. So, you know, it so is what it closer. is. So, I want to give you my impression of the Cardinals, and the reason why, you know, at the beginning of the year when they got off a slow start, I said, "Oh, they'll find their way back." And now, as we see him play out uh, and had conversations with folks over there. I just think the design is fundamentally flawed, Boog, when you're talking about a team that, as you mentioned, you know, we knew going in that their starting pitching was not going to be the best and probably was not going to be in the top half of the best. But when you got a combination of contact pitchers and and really bad outfield defense, yeah. that's a problem. And that's what jumps out at me in watching them. So, look, the, the, the trade of, of Bader, uh, you know, is definitely one that they may – look back on but you know Montgomery's a pretty good pitcher I, I guess I, what I would say is that if you look at I like Harrison Bader as a player but I can't imagine that we're attributing all of this to him and that said it this team doesn't feel vastly different how it was constructed than the Cardinals teams that we looked at the last couple of years yeah yeah you're right and it'll be interesting to see what sort of deals they piece together as we go along and what sort of moves they make. Oh, before we move on, I was going to ask you about the, you know, the announcement by David Freeze declining the Cardinals Hall of Fame invite. You know, he, of course, said one of the greatest uh, you know games we've ever seen in baseball history, 2011 game six. Uh, he's he's voted in the Hall of Fame and he declines And the comment uh, that uh, he put out in a statement. This is something I've given an extreme amount of thought to humbly, even before the voting process began. I'm aware of the impact I had helping the team bring great members of the city I grew up in, including the 11th championship. I feel strongly about my decision and understand how people might feel about this. I get it. I'll wear it. Thank you for always being there for me. And I am excited to be around the Cardinals as we move forward. But this is one of those stories that this is all up to David, whether or not, uh, you know, first off, I you know he wants to tell the other part of the story, but I assume there's more that we don't know. When I as soon as I saw this, what about you? I don't know. I I mean, again, I I think um, I mean certainly David went through personal stuff in St. Louis. That's for that's for sure. Um, and a kid that grew up there, he went to the the same high school as uh, as Ryan Howard, same. Uh, university is Ryan Howard. Um, I think there were times that it was hard on him, but I don't, I, I think, I mean, he's someone that certainly understands, you know, he grew up in the area. So he understands like what, what this is all about. And he understands that fan base. So, I mean, whether it's a, you know, an issue of like not feeling quite worthy of it or what, but I, I don't think that something uh, really significant is going to be uncovered here. In my opinion, I think you're probably going to. I think. I, look, I wouldn't be surprised if, if ultimately he changes mind, but I, I, I would just say right now, it just it's it's an interesting one. That's for darn sure. Yeah, it caught uh, caught your attention the other day when the, the announcement came down, and you know, based on how quickly Derek Gould had the information, I suspect it's something that uh, he had been talking about with the post dispatch for a while. 
uh, about sort of how he was feeling about things. Well, I'm sure we're going to learn more as we go forward. So, Boog, when I covered the Yankees uh, with Joe Torre as the manager, he used to say that no team looks worse than a team slumping offensively. And the Yankees are testing that theory, uh, certainly over the weekend. Uh, A three-game sweep at Fenway Park at the hands of the Red Sox. You know, after they lost game one of the doubleheader yesterday, I I asked Aaron Boone the question that everyone, I think, is wondering, which is how much is the impact of David or Aaron Judge having on the rest of that lineup? And it was like Booney was ready for it. Like he he like grabbed his opportunity because he grabbed his lineup card and he was jabbing at the names of lineup card. He goes, you know what? That's the storyline. He essentially said he rejected it. And he said, look, these guys in this lineup card, they are all capable of doing damage. And, you know, to say that the judge uh, absence is affecting the rest of the lineup, he thinks that's an excuse. The fact is, they look terrible. Yes. They look dead to the point that, and sorry, I veer back to, again, my time covering the Yankees. In the year 2000, you know, the Yankees had, with an older group of players, Paul O'Neill's nearing the end of his career. Tina Martinez wasn't going great. Some other guys were struggling. Uh, and Brian Cashman in June made a really important trade for David Justice at about this time in that season because he recognized, look, they're flat. And based on what he had, I think he really felt like that they needed something more than what they had. I think that's where the Yankees are now because I don't think they really have any idea when Judge is coming back. All right, I got, I got two things for you. One, I'm going to come after you because – you basically just sat there, gave the Joe Torrey quote, and then used flat and dead like 16 times. Okay. And then the other thing that I would say is to think that Aaron Judge being out isn't impacting them is ridiculous. But I don't think that's what's going on here. This team's 28th in the majors and on-base percentage. They are so far away from what the Yankees have been for three decades now. And Aaron could come back and put up an on-base percentage of Barry Bonds proportions, and it's not moving them from 28th to 6th. So, like, the problem, when you're 28th, there are only 30 teams, by the way. When you're 28th out of 30 teams – in as I like to term it at times, in making outs, you got problems, man. And it's not just something that one guy's gonna solve, even if I'm gonna sit here and buy into, and I do, like the the collateral effect the judge can have in a positive way uh on other players. But what you're 28th and you make that many outs, one guy is not solving it. Not nope. Okay. Uh, but I do think that they need to they need to put a um you know, prop up this group somehow, some way. Like I'm looking at the lineup saying, I don't know if DJ LeMay who's going to come back, right? right? He doesn't look the same. Uh, they are, apparently are committed to keeping Anthony Volpe in the big leagues. Boog, I can't remember the last time I saw a big leaguer where they pitched the guy same way every single at bat. And it didn't feel like that the player was making an adjustment, right? Because he's a young guy and he's learning at the big league level. What's he going to be? My other question. With Volpe, I think the thing I worry about a little bit is you start to sit there and say, okay, what's this going to look like on the high side? Like, what's the like what's the player going to end? I agree that we're at a place where it's, hey, we need to think about moving, you know, sending him out. But also, what what's the player? It, it at least raises questions about a guy. Um, what What ultimately does a good year of him look like? Because he expands his strike zone so much, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, I, I mean that last plate appearance last night. I they didn't throw him a strike the entire time. Uh, he, he they're going up and out of the zone, and he's following him up through it. Uh, Stanton, we know, goes through stretches where he loses his timing, and then he gets his timing back, and he goes off. Uh, that one, I'm sure. With Rizzo, it, it feels like a giant mystery. Sort of what's going on with Rizzo? I wonder. You know, he had the collision at uh, at first base with Fernando Tatis Jr. You wonder if he's playing through some sort of an injury. But man, the day <laughs> offense. I agree with you. You know, the hallmark of the Yankees for the last twenty five years has been they control the strike zone. This is not what we typically see out of the Yankees in terms of controlling the strike zone. No, that's right, and that's that's the you know the biggest. 
the biggest shift. And again, judge will come back and judge will help and it'll get better. I just wonder, you know, I think going into the season, you you anticipated that this had a chance to be a, you know, an elite level offense. And I don't see that as a potential outcome now. Okay. I got a potential candidate that they try to pursue in a deal. That would be Willie Adamas of the Milwaukee Brewers. We saw last year that the Brewers are willing to trade Josh Hader. Willie Adamas is in about the same spot. He's got four and a half years of service time. He's going to be a free agent after 2024. Adamas could be kind of a placeholder, help him at shortstop, upgrade the offense, give a little bit more life into that group. What do you think? And, and if you want to throw out another name, I'm, I'm willing to listen. I, there was some speculation over the weekend about Tyler O'Neill, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Like you would need to see him having some success before you were to be aggressive on that front. You want to get a player who's going well. Yeah. And, and the other, you know, shortstop candidate that, you know, has not had a good year would be Tim Anderson. Right. I mean, yeah. when you're talking about, Who, by the way, also is really aggressive chasing balls out of the zone. No doubt. And then he gets to share the side of the infield with Josh Donaldson. So, um, you know, I, look, I, I'm not sure that there's one guy. I mean, certainly when Adamas came to Milwaukee uh, a couple years ago, I guess it was in 21 in May, he just lit them on fire. Um, I, I don't know if the Brewers would do it, and I don't know, uh, you know, the level of impact that I really think he would have. Okay. Anybody come to mind? No. I mean, like, the, you know, the, 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 the only other guy would be, like I said, Anderson, you just buy low and um and just take a shot at it and see, you know, you've certainly seen him with his his style is his style, but we've certainly seen him get hot and be a pretty dynamic player. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how um, you know, how Brian Castro responds because as I said, I, I don't think they have any idea when Judge is going to be coming back. The San Francisco Giants passed the Dodgers in the standings yesterday, Boog. I gotta admit. You know, when they got off to that sluggish start and when you looked at the roster, I kind of was like, nah, you know, same kind of Giants team as last year. Maybe they're better. Um, I don't know. I mean, I like <laughs> I, just, I just think and, and here's what ends up happening is that because I'm, I, you know, I did the Yankees Red Sox last night. I get to see a lot of teams, but I, I see the Cubs. So a lot of times stuff's built, you know, viewed through the that filter. And the Cubs went out there, and I didn't think the Giants looked very good. And the Giants' role started in the final game of that series where they salvaged the finale. Gosh, I just don't think, you know, the, when you ask me about the Central, it's just, it's like the National League is a general idea. There just aren't any teams that blow you away. It's not a very good league this year. Okay. So you have naturally led me into a question which I posed to Paul Ravitch and Sarah Langs and Todd Radom the other day. If you had to bet all of your life fortune on one team to win the World Series this year, okay, one team to win the World Series, to make a lot of money or completely lose your fortune, who would it be? And I'd say this. I think you're going to land in the same spot that Carl and Sarah and I all did. I'm not going to tell you why, because that'll reveal itself in a moment. I mean, you ask me this question on June 19th every year, and I am spitting out an answer every time so fast, and I don't have it for you right now. And I don't feel passionate about my pick. Um, I think I'd say the Rays. Wow. Okay. See, we all landed on the Braves because of what you were talking about, that it feels like the National League field is, at this moment, so much easier than the American League field. The American <laughs> League field feels like a landmine with Gosh, you know, but, potentially great teams. But, I, but, like, wow, you need right and freed back and healthy and pitching well, or you go into a short series and you could lose really easily. <laughs> I think we're going to pair today's show is we don't know. I have, I know nothing. I mean, I know nothing. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, see if you can, if you can give me something on this one, Kyle Schwarber goes off in June, every June, he goes nuts. You know, Kyle Schwarber. What's that about? I don't know. <laughs> he's, he, it's, it's, it's amazing though. Right. He just, look, he's, he's one of these guys. 
um, that can be uber streaky. And when it's bad, it can look really bad. And then he's also one of these guys that it legitimately feels as though he's going to hit a home run every single time he comes to the plate. He's he's one of those dudes. Um, Stanton he, being another one, by the way. Stanton is the same thing. Once right. he starts going off, like yeah. it's impressive. It's crazy. And for Schwarber, it's power obviously in every in every direction. Um yeah, I don't I don't have the the foggiest idea what it is about June for for Schwarbs that uh, that gets him rolling. Right. Scale of one to ten, how much in trouble are the Mets, with ten being very much in trouble? I'd say like eight. Yeah. And it, it doesn't, doesn't feel like it, yeah. it was interesting over the weekend that Pete Alonso was activated so quickly to me. I just think the other thing, I don't even, you know, like the idea of those two guys have got, I mean, I think that if they can stay close and get in and, but it's, it's, it's really all about Scherzer and Verlander, right? It's like the, 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 the only story that we write here that has the Mets going deep into the playoffs is one that has one of them absolutely lights out, if not both of them absolutely lights out in the most important time of the year. And they just haven't really shown that. No. And a lot of people asking questions around baseball is if this is the beginning of the end for each guy, you know, Scherzer with the regression of his slider and the spin rate and Verlander with the regression of his ride on his fastball. That's yeah. you hear that a lot from evaluators. All right, Boog, thanks for doing this. Uh, and I appreciate you for illuminating nothing about the National League Central. Come on. Buster, you know I stink. I'm sorry. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be better. I'll be better next time. I'll live up to my intro. <laughs> All right, legend. I'll talk to you later. Bye, bud. After the Yankees lost game one of their doubleheader in Boston on Sunday, Giancarlo Stanton spoke with reporters about his recent slump and about the Yankees offense. You can hear in his voice, he's searching for answers. How do you find your rhythm? Just continually getting at bats? Is there anything else you can do to try to help things flip? Yeah, reps help, um, you know, but... Uh, this time I, I don't have I don't have time to just be taking reps to get them under my belt. So I need to uh, be an impact when I'm in there. So um, yeah, I just need to figure it out. As a whole, the offense just hasn't been producing consistently. What's the feeling like in there, knowing that the guys one through nine are really struggling? Uh, don't don't think about what just happened. Don't think about. Uh, uh, the L we just had, we got an opportunity to, to get a win and, um, you know, leave on a good note in the off day, so uh, that's all you can look at right now. Is there any sense of pressure with Aaron out of the lineup the IL right now? Uh, we got to win games regardless, so um, obviously, um, you know, it's a, it's a big blow for us, but um, yeah, we, we got to figure out how to win games. So that's, that's the situation we're in, so... Um, can't have excuses. Without Aaron, there's still a ton of talent in that lineup on this roster. Why do you think you guys haven't been able to find a consistency? Um, no direct answer. Uh, we, we just got to find rhythm and uh, get a win tonight. Aaron Boone was saying that had yesterday's game been played, you would have played the outfield. Now it may be Tuesday. Is that something yeah. you feel you're ready for, you're looking forward to? Yeah, it'll be good. Can that help you offensively? I know you like being out there and It'll help the team um, being more dynamic, so it'll be good. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. That's VividSeats.com today, code BASEBALL. Vivid Seats, experience it live. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com 
or just stop by. Kylie McDaniel is ESPN's draft and prospect expert. And look, normally on Mondays, if we have a baggage claim Monday, it's because I'm someplace in an airport. Today, it's Kylie, who is at the world's busiest airport in Atlanta. Kylie, how you doing? Good. I thought it might be not busy when I was here, but uh, I was wrong. It is busy. Yeah. And they called for boarding. So we're going to zip through this as quickly as we possibly can to make sure that uh, you get your seat. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, appreciate it. I, I, like, I think I got some time, but it's not for me to decide. <laughs> All right, we got this Bleacher tweet for you from Eric Sorensen, who asks, in your opinion, is anybody playing in Omaha this weekend who will be on a big league roster by the end of this year? That's a good question. I've actually, I'm on a group text with two of our analysts, uh, Kyle Peterson and Chris Burke, and we've been having it back and forth. Uh, Chris Burke, very bullish on Paul Skeens, Kyle Peterson, former pitcher. Uh, and then me, the prospect dork. Uh, I think what will happen with Skeens, who looks like he'll probably be the second overall pick, but should go by five or six uh, because there is a top tier of five guys. He's, I think, arguably the best pitcher since Garrett Cole. Some people are saying since all the way back to Strasburg, which is at least a dozen years, if not more. So we're talking like best draft pitching prospect in at least a dozen years, maybe a couple decades. And so I think the thought about where he fits right now is if you sign him tomorrow, you immediately send him to double A, have him go, you know, inning or two at a time, get him acquainted. And if he continues dominating the way he's been dominating, it would seem reasonable to them put him in AAA. And then eventually, if it keeps happening, put him in the big leagues for a couple innings at a time, maybe as many as four or five, depending on innings limits and stuff. But like, there's nothing about how he's performing that suggests he can't do this in the big leagues. It's just like, do you want to rush him up there, maybe not find success, create some negative momentum? Like, that's the question you're thinking about. It's not, can he actually do it? Because it seems pretty obvious he could do it. Okay, I've got a follow-up to that, but first I want you to set right now how you think the top of the draft is going to go. So I, I did a, a 11 pick mini mock like a month ago, and I did an update like full mock a couple of weeks ago. And the sort of decision that you have to make as a mock prognosticator right now is will it go chalk with Dylan Cruz, Cruz going one to Pittsburgh and then Paul Skeens going two to Washington and then Wyatt Langford three to Detroit and then Walker Jenkins four to Texas. And then Max Clark, five to Minnesota. That's sort of like the chalk most likely outcome. That was my first mock. But the question is, it sounds like Max Clark, the guy who everyone thinks will probably go fifth if it goes straight. He is the option at one to Pittsburgh because jumping from five to one, you get some real savings. He's the one that then could go one and then shuffle all those guys down where I think Cruz would then go two. And then I'm not really sure how the rest of it, would, how those other guys would go. And I was actually told that Minnesota would rather take Jacob Gonzalez, a guy, a shortstop at Ole Miss, a guy outside of that top five, instead of Paul Skeens because their model is so against pitching. So there's a scenario where Skeens, as the best pitching prospect in at least a dozen years, might go sixth overall. And so that's why if Clark goes first, there's going to be mayhem because nobody really knows how that'll play out yet. Is there any team that you see, I guess, Pittsburgh, you know, in theory, because they're in the National League Central race in a very weak division, might take Skeens with the idea of, you know what, this is immediate help. Like, I can remember that conversation going on when Chris Sale was in the draft. Uh, is there any team that would, uh, you know, tr look at him as being a guy like, yeah, we we could use this guy right now? Because if he goes two to Washington, like you're saying, there's not really any any push for the Nationals to bring him to the big leagues. Yeah, and given the uh, sort of rookie of the year compensation rules, if, he, if you're actually incentivized for him to open next year in the big leagues, I think would actually be the thing they'd be incentivized to do, and maybe that would create some excitement. But yeah, that is a question. If the team that takes him, which we'll, we'll say, you know, Pittsburgh obviously has the right of first refusal, would they be incentivized to bring him up? Like I said, I think he's good enough to do it. I think if you're in the race, then you have to consider it because he will almost certainly be in the big leagues at some point next year. So why not get his feet wet, but retain rookie eligibility and then have him up opening day next year, sort of like a Gunnar Henderson or a Corbin Carroll and handle it that way. The incentives are sort of in place now that if you're at all competitive to handle it that way. And so I think especially how he's finishing here in Omaha, he doesn't look like he's getting tired or anything. Uh, I think you have to consider that. And it sounds like he's one of the three or four guys that are getting heavily considered at one, but because he can't go do private workouts and all that kind of stuff, there's not as much dope leaking out about the crew schemes duo just because they can't go to private workouts. So we're not hearing quite as much as you do with the high school guys doing that sort of thing at this point. I remember having a conversation with the late great Kevin Towers in February before the Strasburg draft uh, and just asked him, hey, what have you been doing? Where have you been? I said, I just saw the best pitching prospect I've ever seen. And when I first saw Skeen's uh, video of him, he kind of reminds me like he's a jumbo-sized Strasburg. <laughs> and that, that physicality and the way that he dominates with his fastball, 
it, again, reminds me of Steven Strasberg in this regard. If you consider that, you know, in the last uh, dozen years, velocity has jumped up for all prospects across the board. It feels he feels like he physically dominates hitters in the way that Steven did back when he was at San Diego State. What do you see? Yes, I would say that if you were just going to grade out the pitches, Strasburg was on his good days, basically all 70s and 80s on the 2080 scouting scale, which is like there's like two or three guys in the big leagues at that point that had that kind of raw stuff. And he was like good enough athlete, repeated his delivery, threw it over the plate. The command, I think, got a, a notch better. So Strasburg in a lot of ways was seen as like sort of a perfect pitching prospect where like almost no one on earth at any time has ever had three 80s, but he was getting really close while in college. So I don't think anybody thinks Skeens is that good. Also, Strasburg had like a sort of a multi-year runway into that where Skeens basically got good in the fall. I saw him the last two summers. He was just okay. He was like a second or third rounder at that point. So the fact that it's new, I think, brings him down a notch. Maybe even David Price gets thrown into that conversation as well. Um, but if you grade out Skeens, it's like a 60 or 65 fastball. It's more of sort of a lower slot sinker as opposed to that four seam dominates at the top of the zone. The slider's at least a 70, if not an 80. And his curve and change, he doesn't use that often. They're both 55s that I think could be 60s. So if you just line the grades up, it's like a little less than Strasburg. And I think sort of the command and repeatability and athlete might be a little bit better and the track record's a little bit less. So I think he's like a notch below, but like he's pretty close. Like it's not that far off. And it's again, it's not perfect, but it's about as perfect as we've seen in a while. Tyler, you got a piece coming out later this week about unconventional draft strategy strategy that you feel like the Yankees would benefit from. What's that about? Yes, I went into it open-minded for what team will this make sense for? And it ended up being the Yankees, which for you know somebody that benefits from clicks and headlines and stuff, you're like, oh, how nice is that that it's the Yankees? But the strategy, uh, Jeff Passon wrote about it four years ago when the CBA, the last CBA was new, uh, that the uh, incentives exist for certain kinds of teams to completely blow out their draft pool, which we saw happen a couple CBAs ago in the international market because the rules sort of suggested that was a good idea. And then once one or two teams did it and then MLB sort of signaled and eventually changed the rules, then teams were like, hey, there's a two-year window where there's there's like no reason to not do this. They've already changed the rules. You're not The owner will not get the ire of the league. And so teams started doing it. And there were like 10 teams, I think eight or 10 teams doing it at the end of that period where there was essentially no reason not to. It was just as your owner want to flip the bill. Um, and so in the draft now, uh, I am getting some clarification on some of the rules before we publish the article. But it seems like the Yankees, who have, I think, the second lowest pool in the whole draft because of free agent compensation and things like that, um, they uh, could take a good player with their first round pick and then essentially signal to the industry, we'll be willing to pay a million and a half, two million plus at every pick down the board and a total outlay of 20 or 30 million. And the penalty is just losing your next two first round picks, which could already be as low as 35 or 40 based on going into the luxury tax, losing second and third picks. Like you would essentially be giving away picks in years that you're already going to have the lowest pool anyway and getting three years, if not more, of prospects all at once. And so the article is basically breaking down like filter by filter. What, what are the things that would make a team not do this? And eventually it came down to Yankees and Dodgers and the Yankees have $2 million less to spend this year. So they actually fit it perfectly. And I know that they're one of the teams that have talked about this internally because it's just, you know, good, good business to kind of think about all these things every year. I think the only thing keeping a team from doing it is the owner doesn't want to get yelled at by the other owners for setting an economic precedent because eventually he would essentially be saying, this is how much this part would be worth on the open market in the same way that you own Mon- Kata got paid what almost 65 million and it sort of revealed that's how much that guy's worth and then Otani later signed for like two and a half like we kind of knew what the discount was it was tens of millions of dollars almost a hundred million dollars and so if you start doing this uh domestically you'd be essentially admitting this high school player is actually worth 15 million because we signed him for you know 12 or whatever it was and I don't think the league wants that to happen so that's the only force really keeping a team from doing it and I would assume Hal Steinbrenner <laughs> will not do it but like everything is there suggesting he should and you're right. I mean, as you were laying that out and you said Dodgers and Yankees, the, despite the fact that they consistently post, you know, some of the highest payrolls in the sport, both those teams seem to paint within the lines that, that uh, yes. the other owners want. Where on the other hand, I think you and I would agree that right now, Steve Cohen and Peter Seidler, the owner of the Padres, yes. the owner of the Mets, uh, those are the two teams that at this point, they probably wouldn't care. And the funny thing is I eliminate them because their records weren't good enough currently because there's a chance that they just don't get deep enough that they'd be giving away a mid-first-round pick. But then I actually bring them back in the discussion and say, if we're trying to adjust for the mentality of the owner, these two are the two that would do it. And also A.J. Preller. I mean, this seemed, that's exactly his biggest strength is drafting and developing high school players. So it's like it fits him perfectly and their system is stand out. So like there's you could make a case for at one point, I think I stop and say, these are all the teams that could reasonably do this, that could justify it. And it was 12 teams. Like, there's a lot of teams that could talk about it. And the, and the even crazier part is once you do it, you're incentivized to keep doing it until they change the rules. 
Um, so if some team does it, then all of a sudden other teams will feel free to do it because the precedent's been set. And then that team will just keep doing it until the rules change, which would probably take a couple of years. So it's a really interesting concept of sort of like, uh, I mean, it's not tragedy of the commons, but I'm sure there is like some economic uh, term that describes this, that nobody wants to jump. But then once they jump, everybody's going to get in the pool. Before you go, uh, before we board the plane, what are the pirates getting with Henry Davis being called to the big leagues? Uh, the question with him has always been, is he going to be good enough defensively to be an everyday catcher in a non-robo-ump world? I think he'll be okay. I think he could play third if you needed him to. He's probably right now more of a first base DH occasional catcher. But the sales pitch is basically, it's going to be 260, 270, good amount of walks, chance for 35, maybe even 40 home runs as a guy with giant raw power, strength-based raw power that knows how to get to it in games. And there's just not a lot of those guys in the league. So the chance that he could hit is huge the chance that what if he hits 240 strikes out too much he's a right-handed hitting first baseman turns into a platoon guy that's like the bad outcome it seems unlikely i think he'll hit enough to be an everyday first baseman at least but there's a chance there's even a little more in there before i go i, I lied i got one more question for you francisco alvarez how surprised are you by how rapidly he seems to have improved defensively uh, I actually, one of the first games I've covered on sort of the big league, going to the clubhouse interview people, uh, basis was the, the big Braves Mets series last year. And I used to work for, uh, for Billy Epler way back in the day with the Yankees. And I saw him during like sort of the scrum and I pulled him aside and I was like, it was, it was when Alvarez was making his big league debut. So he was like the, the, the topic everyone was talking about. And I kind of pulled him aside and I was just like, is he improving behind the plate? And his eyes kind of lit up. He's like, yeah, he's getting a lot better. And it was sort of like, oh, that wasn't what would happen if he wasn't actually getting better and he was lying to me. And when his eyes lit up, I was like, oh, they think he can do this. Uh, and then he sort of DH'd and, you know, did some stuff here and there. And like, I think that's going to be a higher maintenance body. Like, it's not something that's a slam dunk to happen for the next 10 years that he'll be this guy. But uh, when when I saw Billy's eyes light up, I was like, oh, okay. Like, he, he thinks this guy's going to do it. And then I started calling around and guys were like, yeah, no, he's definitely improved at the level that you need to. Like, he seems fully bought in and doing this. Uh, so I don't think this is necessarily going down like sorry, a Gary Sanchez kind of route, which some people thought early in the minor leagues, he might be one of those guys that's just okay, or maybe doesn't care that much, or how's it going to go? And I don't think that's who it is now. All right, Kylie, get on the plane. Thanks for doing this. Yep, thanks for having me. Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Monday. First up, we have Cedo Samuel, a.k.a. Big Cedo, at K Salcedo 12 writes in on field interviews are fire. I see why Buster is always cooking. Whoever has something negative to say about him. I love this tweet from Cedo. Yeah, well, overnight last night, I had Alex Coron. Alex lost his father uh, to cancer when he was 13. I've known Alex forever, known his brother forever. I know how much their father meant to him. And so I asked Taylor, Taylor, I asked him in the middle of the game. I, I you know, when I did the in-game interview, he said, you know, today's father day, you lost your dad when you were a teenager. You know, what are some memories you have of your father? And he had this very touching memory about being in the room when his father would call in box scores from, you know, the amateur games that he did on radio. And, and, and like a couple people were coming at me and I'm like, come on. Like, really? That's a touching yeah, like, part of the wait, broadcast. Shh, give mean, me a break. It's Father's Day. He's probably thinking about that, whether you asked or not. He was thinking about it. He related those stories before the game to us. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, you know, come on. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. And if I didn't, suspect the people coming at me probably haven't lost a parent the way that Alex Cora has, the way that I have, for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know. When your when your parent dies on Mother's Day and Father's Day, you're going to think about that parent. It's yes. very it's very natural. Thank you, Taylor. Yeah, very yeah. much appreciate that. Your interviews are firebuster. They always are. Uh Amy Chapman, <laughs> she writes in, Do you think the terrible major league baseball owner's lawyer and the thirty people he represents would ever entertain an offer for an expansion team from a foreign government live golf esque or are there internal MLB rules against that? Huh. Well, I think they would entertain an offer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's a professional. I think it's a professional sports league. He wouldn't be doing his job, quite frankly, if he didn't entertain. You know, it's interesting. I, I'm Taylor. I'm curious to see. I didn't follow up with you about in this conversation the other day. Hey, Carl has a little different view where he feels like the commissioner does need to overlook, oversee the, you know, not only the interest of the owners, but maybe a little bit the fans. I just don't look at it that way. I think everything that Rob says I take through the, you know, the prism of he's the owner's representative. And that's the bottom line. It's sort of like when you see a trial that plays out, you know, the defense lawyer might say some things. And you think that's ridiculous. Well, he's the defense's lawyer. 
And that's what Rob is doing. He represents the owners. He doesn't represent fans. He doesn't rep the, represent the players. Yeah, it would be nice if he had more of an eye on the fans and the players and kind of the overall experience for for everyone. But yeah, he, he's trying to make money for the owners. And it's unfortunate. That's You can see it in all these leagues, too. That's like what the commissioner role has turned into. I think Adam Silver might try and walk that line a little bit. But really, like Roger Goodell, Gary Bettman, um, the guy who does, who runs the MLS, like they're they're all the same. It's it's kind of a bummer, but that's how it is. Well, and it, and it really changed about 30 years ago when Faye Vincent got run out as commissioner. He, to me, was like one of the last commissioner, who baseball commissioners, who tried to thread that needle. And then Bud Selig took over because they didn't want the commissioner to be someone that they had to fight against when they were dealing with the internal, uh, you know, uh, business issues. You, quite frankly, you can see it from the owner's perspective. Yeah, right? of course. You pay a guy $25, $50 million a year. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to have Rob Manfred saying, no, you know, go to the athletics and say, no, John Fisher, <laughs> you're not allowed to do this. He's your employee, for God's sake. Yep. You don't yep. want that, right? Mm -hmm. Which is why when we talk about, you know, a team tanking or an issue like, you know, with John Fisher, don't blame Rob Manfred. Anybody who blames Rob Manfred for baseball's problems missing the boat. The problem is are the owners like the uh, the owners are the ones with the actual power as opposed to Rob, who sort of, you know, he's the point on the spear as opposed to actually being the power behind it. Yeah, it would not that it would make anything better, but like. Rob Manfred could take a communications class and just learn how to soften the blow with his words a little bit. You know, this, this thing with Sometimes. the athletics. Yeah. I mean, it makes you, yeah. it makes you think about the, the world series trophy thing where he was like, Oh, it's just a piece of metal. Like dude, like how, how would you not consider, you know, how people are going to react to that? Like just, well, and I would say this about Rob and look, he's never going to tell us. I bet you there are situations where he goes out and does his job as the owner's commissioner, mm -hmm. says different things, and then he goes in the back room and holds his nose, much yeah. like probably there's some defense lawyers who do the same thing, right? Oh, my God, my client is a – like, what a, what a terrible human being this person is, right? And I bet you Rob at times, have been, you know, he's, he's forced out front because of his role, uh, and he says things, and he goes back, oh, my God. And you know, the, the old saying – that's what the money's for. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I, 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 yeah. I, I, I appreciate Ravi's perspective. I don't, I don't agree with it. Gabriel at bold as bronze writes in, is the NL West, the goat rodeo division again? I think, it's the uh, NL Central. I think today we kind of, we kind of determined the national league central where Boog said, well, four of the five teams have a chance that we talked him into a fifth team having mm -hmm. a chance. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. think there's a division. Other than the uh, other than the National League Central, where all five teams we feel like have a chance. Taylor Welch, Taylor Gang over here. Hey, Buster. Based off of Bryce Harper's comments, I agree that the A's name should stay in Oakland. What do we think about the Las Vegas Crusaders? Maybe a bronze or green color scheme. And now we're we're gonna get into naming business now that this thing is officially over. Yeah, um, I, I agree with Bryce. I wish the A's would stay. Uh, or, you know, or be held out and be given to a more representative franchise, but that's just not going to happen. You know, the Raiders went to Las Vegas. It's part of the attraction. If you're trying to sell a team uh, to a, a new fan base, I, 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 I mean, the A's are one of the most historic franchises in the sport. You have to keep that name. I guess so. All right, Matthew Porto, last one for today. 30-year-old Mulberry writes in, I'm a Dodgers fan, but my pick to win the World Series is the Orioles. Oh, no, Matthew. He writes, uh, Taylor, you should be ashamed for yourself for not picking them, but I would wow. never do such a thing. No way. Wow. Look at that. I'll bet yeah, I mean, against I, them on the day-to-day, -day, but I'm not picking them to win the World Series. They're a flawed team right just, now, Buster. It, well, and on top of that, I think there's a little bit. You have a tiny bit of superstition in you, Yes. Uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just don't really, they're not the best team in baseball. They're maybe the fifth best team, but I don't know that they can, they'd be able to win, you know, multiple series. That's where I'm at right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's fair, Well, but I appreciate Matthew yeah. for picking them. Yeah. A hundred percent. And you know what? Who knows? I mean, the, the big test for ownership, the next big test for the Orioles ownership is going to be the trade deadline. And it would be really cool if you saw the Orioles go all in because it looks like they're going to make the playoffs, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Be in the playoffs. And and it would be awesome if the ownership was all in and threw a bunch of resources and was willing to add payroll to, to a team that looks like it has a chance. And it's clear starting pitching is the would be the area of need, right? 
Yeah, starting pitching. It's been a little bit better, though. Kramer and Bradish have been better. I think really yeah. they need some some help in the middle of the bullpen. A, maybe a long reliever, uh, maybe another bat. We're going to see some significant movement, I think, finally, um, you know, with their prospects. I think we're going to see Jordan Westberg up here pretty soon. So, you know, there's there's definitely things happening here. It's just a matter of how, yeah, how hard they're going to go in on it. But they'll make a move, okay. I think. I hope they do. I mean, the players have earned it, but, you know, we said that last year, too. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Hashtag Bleacher right, Tweets on Twitter. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> That's it for today. My thanks to Boo, to Kylie, to Taylor, to Sarah. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Whoa. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.